Well, good morning again. This morning is uh, uh, probably the most important morning to worship and, and celebrate as believers and uh, should be one of the most simplest messages to give every year. And <laughs> sometimes it's just not. Um, but um, as we spend time together in the Word this morning, uh, we're going to be kind of taking a bird's eye view in the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open to John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some in the chairs scattered around the room. John chapter 20 is John's account of the resurrection of Jesus. And John chapter 20 goes into chapter 21, uh, where some important things were just laid on my heart as I was studying uh, and preparing for this week's message. It's always difficult when you have to put, a, put together a Good Friday message, which is very so, uh, somber, right? Very uh, dark, difficult to, to experience. But it's necessary to remember the sacrifice that Christ went through on our behalf. And then come Sunday morning to, to be full of energy and, and, and ready to celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. And, and sometimes you have really good weeks and sometimes you have really hard weeks when it comes to that. And so just pray for me. The Lord uh, sometime this week started losing my voice. Uh, no other symptoms, no other issues, no other anything. Um, so maybe the enemy just doesn't want to have this message out this morning. And so just pray for me as, uh, as we go along. With God's word open, let's pray and seek him. Lord, we thank you for the privilege, Lord, to have your word. We thank you that over millennia, Lord, over the years, you have protected your word. You've protected it from being destroyed. We thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you that your word is God-breathed, that no prophecy of scripture comes from man's own understanding. Lord, we thank you that your word is truth. Lord, as we come before you this morning with your word, we ask that by your Holy Spirit you would speak, that you would pull the words off the page and allow them to resonate and, and transform us from the inside out. Lord, you don't want people to just sit and, and hear. You, you want transformation. So Lord, we pray for that. Jesus, only you can transform lives. So we ask humbly, Lord, that you would do that, that you would transform lives this morning. So Lord, I just pray that as we come to celebrate the fact that you have risen from the grave, Lord, that uh, as we look at the, that time in history and in all of the events surrounding it, Lord, that we would learn what you have for us in your word. So Lord Jesus, would you leave this, lead us? 
this time in your word. It's in your name I pray. Amen. John chapter 20. We'll just start with the first 10 verses. I'll read out of my English Standard Version, and you can follow along in yours. It says, Now on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday for Jewish people, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. We see here in these first 10 verses that Mary is going to the tomb, and, and you can look at the other Gospels to see that it wasn't just Mary, that there was a group of women that were carrying spices to the tomb in hopes to, you know, anoint Jesus' dead body, as would be custom in their day. We see in other Gospel accounts that as they're going on the way, these ladies realize that the, that the tomb is shut by a heavy stone, and, and they don't even think about that before they leave. And on the way, they're like, what? who's going to move the stone? We see in John's account here that he just kind of skips a little bit forward to the, to the point where Mary shows up and sees that the tomb is already open. And out of fear, she, she turns and runs to go tell Peter, Simon Peter, and the beloved disciple, which is John, writing this gospel. So she goes and tells Simon Peter and the other disciple, John, and they both take off running towards the tomb. And John, in his humility, says that he reaches the tomb first. <laughs> But they both get there. John waits for Peter to catch up, and they both get there, and they enter the tomb to find the linen cloths lying there. And it's recorded that it was in this moment, as they enter the empty tomb and see the clothes lying there, that they believed. It was in this moment that they understood that Jesus had to rise from the dead, where all the scriptures came to a fulfillment in their mind and they realized all that Jesus had taught them, all that they had been learned about for their entire lives and they believed. I think this is important because all of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, all point to Jesus. But up until that point, they saw an empty tomb. 
Up until that point, even though they had been trained in the Torah and in the Old Testament and all of this, and even spent three years with Jesus teaching and, and talking about the Old Testament and how he is fulfilling that, they still didn't, uh, they didn't get it. They didn't understand. And it took them going into the empty tomb, seeing the claws lying there, when God opens their minds to all that they've heard, all that they've been taught, and goes, yeah, he said he had to do this. <laughs> and everything clicks. And they believe. And I think that there's an important point for us that just seals the fact that the resurrection proves that Jesus is exactly who he said he is. As we began service, I read from John chapter 11. So if you just want to flip back a couple pages in your Bible, read the story, you know the story, Lazarus has died, uh, a dear friend of Jesus, he died. Jesus was made aware and he hung back when Lazarus was sick. Jesus hung back. Lazarus died, was buried for four days, and then he finally comes to, to meet Lazarus. And in ver verse 25, Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is what the Christian faith is all about. Do we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Well, John makes it very clear that when they show up to the tomb, he isn't there anymore. And that's what caused them to believe that Jesus has risen again. Proving Jesus' own words that he is the resurrection, that he is the life. Let's continue reading in, in chapter 20, verses 11 to 18. Your Bible may say that Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. It says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. We see that uh, Peter and John went into the tomb. 
They saw the clothes. They, they remembered that Jesus said he was going to have to die and rise again three days later. And everything came to a point where they realized that the scriptures were speaking about him. And they believe. And they leave. They leave Mary sitting there at the tomb crying. Like, come on, guys. Like, where's the chivalry here, right? Like, you would think that they would hang out at least with, with Mary. But Mary's still at the tomb, and she's weeping outside. She looks into the tomb and sees two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body was laid. And the angels speak to her, and they, and they say, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Jesus. So they, they ask her why she's weeping. And she responds, They have taken away my Lord which also means master. And even though Jesus was dead and died, she was still loyal to her Lord and master. Then Jesus is there, and he says, Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, she thinks it's the gardener. She doesn't recognize Jesus. She doesn't recognize this glorified body and, and maybe divinely Jesus changes his appearance just enough to where he's not recognizable. We don't really know. But whatever the case is, Mary doesn't recognize Jesus just by sight alone. And it wasn't until Jesus calls her by name the light bulb goes off. She knows that word. She, she knows how he said her name. And that's when she turns around and knows for a fact it was Jesus risen from the dead. And like I think anybody would in that moment, seeing Jesus alive again after witnessing the terrible death he went through, clings and run, runs to Jesus and says, don't ever leave me again. <laughs> right? I think we would all feel that way. Like, don't ever leave me again. Don't ever put me through that again. Right? Like, you're not going anywhere. I'm holding on to you. And he says, don't cling to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. I still have more work to do, so don't cling to me. In this section, I think it's very intentional that it's recorded that Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. Jesus, all throughout his earthly ministry, elevated women of the culture. Women in that time were not treated the way Jesus treats them. They were treated as pop property. And Jesus said, you're more than property. And Jesus makes himself known to Mary in a very intentional, sweet way. But I think it's interesting that twice she's asked, why are you weeping? But more importantly, I think the question is, who are you seeking? That turned the conversation. Because I think for all of us, we're seeking something. 
in this world, there's something we are seeking or someone we're seeking. And the world tells us that if we seek this well or, or this person or this thing, we'll be satisfied. Whether that's drugs or alcohol or pornography or lust or whatever the case may be. If we just pursue that, if we seek those things, we'll be happy. Jesus asks Mary, who are you seeking? The question, who are you seeking, reveals her heart. Because she goes, they have taken away my Lord. I'm seeking the one I love. I'm seeking my Lord, my master, whom, whom elevated me out of, out of, you know, societal structures and, and redeemed my life and died for me. That's who I'm seeking. But it wasn't until Jesus calls Mary by name that she knew who she was talking to. Who was asking her the question, who do you seek? And then notice that after she's made aware who he is, he sends her to go tell the disciples. Immediately. To go. Go tell the brothers. Go tell the disciples. I think it's important for us to remember that Jesus calls each of us by name. He created each one of you. Each one of us. And he knows your name too. And just as he knows your name and calls you by name, he also sends you to make disciples, which is the Great Commission. It doesn't matter where you find yourself in life. It doesn't matter you, the, the things you're struggling with, the sin in your life. You are called to make disciples. That is the commandment in the Great Commission. Not the go. The Great Commission, you know, is to go and make disciples. Make disciples is the command. And Jesus sends Mary to the disciples after calling her by name. Sometimes I think we, we get this mentality that uh, I'm not far along, in, uh, far along enough in what I know about Scripture I'm not far enough along in my relationship with Jesus to be sent to go make a disciple. It has no bearing on, on the Great Commission. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, he sends you. There is no, like, theological seminary for the disciples. They followed Jesus, they surrendered their life to Jesus, and he commissioned them to go. And he does the same thing for us. Unfortunately, we often let our own insecurities limit that. And when we do that, we're letting the enemy win. Because the church has been called to go and make disciples of all nations. Let's continue reading chapter 20, verse 19. 
on the evening of that same day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven of them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The disciples were in a house in the city. The doors were locked. They were huddled together because they were afraid that the same fate might happen to them. It had only been a couple days since Jesus was crucified on the cross, and, uh, you know, they're very fearful that they might be next. And so they find themselves in a house with the doors locked. And Jesus appears without opening the doors. He appears in the house in their presence. And out of nowhere, he says, peace be with you. I don't know about you, but like if all of a sudden somebody who wasn't in the room to begin with all of a sudden shows up and he says, peace be with you, I might not feel peace right now. Like, I might be a little terrified that that just happened. And I think that's why Jesus also says it a second time to reassure them that peace is okay, that it's okay to feel peace here. He says, peace be with you. And he shows the scars as proof that it's him. He says, I know this is hard. Here's proof that it's me. Shows him in the, his hands inside where the side was pierced. And again says, peace be with you. But he doesn't stop this time with the peace be with you. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He then breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit and the authority to forgive sins. Notice that in this section, this is still Resurrection Sunday in the passage here. He, he appears to the disciples who are afraid. They're afraid they're next. And he says, peace be with you. Trust me, I am who I say I am. Peace be with you. Don't have fear. Again, they're in a room because they're afraid. He says, have no fear. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He calms their anxiety twice. And I think this is important because only Jesus can give us true peace. When we get caught up in the anxieties of the world and, and the, the stresses and, and what people say or what people might be thinking or, or what the, whatever the issue is that causes anxiety to build up, only Jesus can alleviate that because only Jesus is peace. So when you feel the anxiety and, and the fear and the, de the, the debilitating emotions that come with that, 
that lock you up. Jesus says, peace be with you. Peace to you. He invites us to surrender that anxiety and, that, and that, uh, th- those, those gripping things and to himself. Because only Jesus brings us peace. But not only that, not only is Jesus there to make himself known to the disciples who are afraid and struggling with, you know, worry about being the next person on the cross or, or death or even whipped for that matter. Not only is he there to bring them peace, he's also there to send them to be on mission. And again, I think it's important that the day of his resurrection, the day that he rose again, he's sent Mary, and now he's appeared to the disciples and he's saying, I'm sending you. So as followers of Christ, as disciples, we must realize that Jesus is sending us too. Each one of us. The Holy Spirit living inside of believers empowers us to be on mission with God. Notice that I say with God and not for God because that's a whole different, a whole different issue. God invites us to be on mission with him because God is living. He's already at work. He's already touching lives in our communities and in, in, in all around the world. And he invites us, if we're willing, to come on mission with him, with what he's already doing. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And we have to be willing to let go of the fear, let go of the anxiety, let go of the preferences, and be willing to be vessels to come alongside what God wants to do. And say, here I am, Jesus. What, would, what do you want me to do? Let's continue on. Verse 24 through 29, we see this encounter with Jesus and Thomas. It says, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas wasn't with the disciples the night that Jesus first appeared to them on the day of resurrection, right? Um, Chances are he was the lookout at that time. Remember, they were hiding because they were afraid of being caught and and suffering the same consequences. So it's very likely, though we don't have proof of this, that Thomas was the the post to make any kind of like warning signal to the disciples, hey, run, right? So it might have been his shift to be outside of the group. The disciples told Thomas when when his shift was over, if this is, is reality, But whenever Thomas ends up coming back to the group, they say, hey, great news, we've seen the Lord. 
And Thomas goes, I can't, I just can't go with you there. I, I, I saw too much. It's too hard. It's too hard for me to believe that. And unless I see the scars and am able to touch, like I just, I won't believe. And notice that Jesus waits eight days before appearing again to the disciples with Thomas being present. Imagine how difficult that might have been if you were Thomas and, and, and Jesus has appeared to all of the, the disciples except you. Even to Mary, for that matter, which would have been difficult for a, a man to, to, to wrestle with at that time, that, that the risen Savior has appeared to a woman instead of me. I'm not saying that that's the right posture, by the way. I'm just saying that in that time, that would have been a thought. And Jesus waits eight days before appearing. But he does. And this time Thomas is there and he says, peace be with you. And he directly goes to Thomas and he says, put your fingers here in my hands. Put out your hand and put it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas responds, my Lord and my God. To which Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. Clearly, Thomas struggles to believe that Jesus is risen without seeing him with his own eyes. And this is often the argument from non-believers. Well, he's invisible. How am I supposed to believe? And the reality is, even as believers, we can struggle to believe because we're not seeing things happen that we want to happen. Sometimes we struggle to believe because we can't see what God is doing. But notice how Jesus appears and directly goes to Thomas and says, don't disbelieve, but believe. God is gracious to us and he's patient. He is patient toward us in our disbelief. He gives us exactly what we need in order to believe. Sometimes we just have to choose. Notice, too, that as Jesus appears, he already knew what Thomas's hang-up was. Thomas didn't have to tell Jesus when he appeared. Jesus already knew. Jesus already knew. He knew exactly what Thomas's problem was in his disbelief, and he addresses it right away. This speaks to the reality that Jesus is, is all-knowing and that he sees everything. He knows everything. And in that all-knowing and all-seeing, he shows grace and patience and love towards us even in our worst moments, even in, even in our disbelief, he comes to us and says, don't disbelieve, believe. John continues to finish out chapter 20 with verse 30. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. 
Notice the little caveat here that John places. He, he, he puts in this, this one verse. He says that Jesus did so many things. And if I, if I had all the paper in the world, it couldn't contain everything we saw Jesus do. But what I have recorded for you is so that you'll believe. In other words, though we don't have a complete list of all of what Jesus did, Though we don't have a complete list of all the miracles and all the signs and all the words that he's ever, ever had in that three-year span of time, what we do have is enough. What we do have, we can put trust in and enough to believe that he is who he says he is. That's what Paul, uh, excuse me, John is saying here. He said, I can't, I can't write everything, but what I have written is so that you'll believe. And we're going to continue into, into chapter 21 here. So keep following along. Verses 1 to 14. After this, Jesus revealed, revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were, were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, the fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon and Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. We see that Simon Peter, some days after Jesus appeared to the disciples with Thomas and, and proves who he is, some days later, Peter says, you know what, I'm going fishing. And he takes a group of the disciples with him. Now notice, Jesus had just told the disciples the first time he appeared in the room, as, I, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. He, he commissioned them to go make disciples, to spread the gospel. And what do we see Simon Peter doing? 
reverting back to his old lifestyle. I'm going fishing. Remember, Simon Peter was a fisherman by trade. That was all he knew before he started following Jesus. We see that Simon's not the only one that goes out. We see Thomas, Nathaniel, John, and James, and, the two, and two others join Simon in the boat. They fish all night. They catch nothing. And if that rings a bell, that's the same exact story that happened when Jesus calls Peter in the first place. Remember, Peter's out fishing, trying to catch fish all night long. Doesn't know Jesus yet. Comes in after spending all night working and not catching anything. And Jesus says, hey, try throwing your net to the other side. And he goes, man, I've just been out here all night long. There's no fish out here. But just to entertain you, I'll go ahead and do so. And he throws his net over, and he can't haul it in. There's so many fish. And it's in that point where Peter knew that Jesus was someone special, and he says, uh, you know, leave me, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And that's when Jesus says, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Follow me. Notice, Jesus, from that point on, that Peter spent three years with Jesus. The night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter was the first one to cut off the, the soldier's ear out of, out of you know, uh, zealousness for, for Jesus. But when push came to shove, Peter was the first one to deny Jesus three times. The shame that Peter must have felt not being able to put his money where his mouth is. And so realistically, Peter's probably struggling with the idea of being sent. He probably doesn't feel qualified to go as the Father is sending him, as Jesus is sending him. So he goes back to fishing. This is not by accident. He goes back to fishing, and Jesus says, hey, throw your net on the other side. Now, if I'm Peter, I might be going like, hey, this rings a bell. I think, that, like, deja vu here a little bit. But it doesn't click for him. Because shame can do that. Shame can make us forget what God has done in the past. Shame can make us believe that we're too far gone down this dark path to remember what God has done. So he goes ahead and throws it on the other side. And they start catching fish. And John is like, hey, that's the Lord. I know that miracle. I've seen that one before, right? And immediately, immediately Simon goes, I got to get to him. I got to get to the Lord. So he puts on his outer garments and he jumps in. They're only 100 yards off. He could have just, hey, row faster, you know, let the fish go. I don't care about the fish. Let's get to shore, right? He doesn't wait for that. He dives in because he's got to be with his Lord. Sometimes, as followers of Christ, we lose sight of what God has commanded us to do. We get focused on the secondary, tertiary, so on, etc. things. And we lose sight of what God has commanded us to do. We fall back into old rhythms of life. The comfortable things that we once knew. What we were good at before Christ called us. 
Simon knew how to fish. So after Jesus' presence was no longer immediate with him, he goes back to what he knew. He went back to fishing. Jesus has given each one of us, those who follow him, the church, the great commandment and the great commission. Not one person in the church, all who claim Christ as Lord and Savior through repentance and faith have been tasked with the great commandment and the great commission. But the reality is it's not always easy to live this out. I get it. It wasn't easy for even Simon Peter in that day. And he spent three years with Jesus. What makes it difficult is we, can, we fail, we're human, we struggle in this walk. And the enemy uses those failures to cast shame, which makes us forget and lose sight of what God has done, which makes us ineffective, or at least makes us believe we're ineffective. As the church... As followers of Christ, we are called to love God and love others and to make disciples. That is the mission of the church. That is what it looks like to be the church. Nothing else matters. Love God, love others, make disciples. Who love God and others and make disciples. Who love God, love others, and make disciples. That's what Jesus calls us to do. Everything else is secondary, tertiary, etc. So don't let shame, don't let the enemy get in your side of your head to make you lose sight of what God has done for you. That's what Good Friday is all about, remembering what Jesus went through for us. To remember his love for us. To be moved by that. Because the enemy will be quick to make us forget it. Now, talking about Simon Peter, let's go to these last few verses. John 21, 15 to 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus pulls Peter aside out of the group and has this one-on-one -on -one conversation with him. 
Remember, Peter was the one who denied Jesus how many times? Three times. So this is an act of restoration for Peter to restore that, to affirm with Peter the truth, not the shame, not the guilt. Jesus pulls Peter aside and asks him three times, do you love me? In English, we don't see the nuance here because we have one word for love. It's called love. Now, we all define that slightly different, but we have one word called love. In Greek, there were many. It's important to know what exactly Jesus is asking Simon and how Simon replies. Jesus, the first question, says, Simon, do you agape me? Which we know is the sacrificial love, the selfless love, the selfless sacrificial love of the Father to send the Son to die in our place, where we place others above ourselves. Jesus says, do you agape me? To Peter. And Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you which is brotherly love, not the same thing as agape love. Peter's basically saying, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you, that I love you as a brother, that I, that I, that I love you this way. He asks them a second time. He says, Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. And then Jesus asks a third time, and he says, Simon, do you phileo me? And this is where Peter breaks down because he realizes he can't get himself to say, I agape you. How could he? He just denied him three times. He wasn't willing to agape him. He couldn't. He breaks down, and he says, Lord, you know everything. You know I phileo you. That's where I'm at. Peter knew that he could not respond with agape because he wasn't there. There was too much shame. There was too much doubt. There was too much inner unsettledness about his actions that would be very recent in memory for him that he was feeling immense shame about. How could he sit here and say, yes, Lord, I know I, you, I agape you when he just didn't? He has failed his Lord and Savior, so he says, you know, Lord, that I phileo you. I think it's interesting here that, that Peter couldn't respond with agape because he wasn't there, but, but also because he knows he's made that mistake before. In the, at the Last Supper, he said, I am willing to die for you. They won't touch you. And what happens? He denies them three times and runs away. He's made that mistake before. He knows he can't do that right now. So instead of making that same mistake again, he says, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. I love you like a brother. I love you like one of my own. 
But I think it also reveals in, in the, third, the third time that he knew, Peter knew that Jesus knew his heart. And that, that the Lord would be able to see through the lie anyway if Peter replied, yes, Lord, I agape you. So even so, in this dialogue, we see that Jesus calls Peter and restores him back to fellowship with him and to mission. Jesus doesn't let the shame of his failure define him anymore. He says, I know, I know that you were once a man who was said that you would die for me, and when push came to shove, you ran away. I know that. But I'm here to restore you where you're at with me, and I'm still sending you to go. And in the same way, we fail the Lord all the time. We make mistakes. We're, until Christ comes back or calls us home, we're going to fail as believers. We're going to make mistakes. In the same way that Jesus restores Peter, he restores each of us if we're willing to be honest with the Lord and come before him and say, I'm broken before you, and this is where I'm at. Jesus also, in this restoration, says, follow me. He reminds Peter, he's not a fisherman anymore. He's a fisher of men. He's not a fisherman anymore. Don't go back to that old lifestyle. I've called you for more. Follow me. As a follower of Jesus, that means Peter has a purpose in God's plans. And think about this. Peter didn't think he was useful at all for God's plans after what he had done. And God restores him and says, I still have plans for you. As followers of Jesus, we all, each of us, individually and corporately, have purpose in God's kingdom. It doesn't look the same from one person to the other, but each of you have been called by name with purpose for the kingdom. He gives each of us gifts to build the body of Christ so that every believer from every generation has purpose. In the kingdom. Every believer in every generation has purpose as a follower of Christ. And as the body of Christ, we need to remember that. That even our young people who follow Christ, who boldly step out in their schools and live out their faith, have purpose for the kingdom of God. We need to pray for them. We need to equip them. We need to support them. We need to hear their stories, their struggles that they have because they're part of the body of Christ now, not when they reach a certain age. 
they have gifts that are important to the body of Christ because the Holy Spirit gives them as he wills for the purpose of building the body of Christ up. And all of this has happened because Jesus rose from the grave. Sealing the fact of who he is. Which means everything he said along the way is true too. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. We are brought into a new life with him as followers of Christ. The old life is gone. We are born again by the Holy Spirit into a new life with Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing. We have to be willing to let go of that old life, that old, that old self, that, those old tendencies, and trust Jesus as we follow him. Each one of us has the Holy Spirit as a follower of Christ living inside of us that is empowering us to go. The old temple is gone. No longer do God's people have to show up to a place to experience God. We take God with us because we have the Holy Spirit, God himself, inside of us. Each one of us is God's temple where God resides. So when we go to work, when we go to school, when we go to our neighbor, we take God with us. And our neighbors, our, school, our friends at school, our co-workers get a chance if we're willing to follow Jesus. They get a chance to glimpse who Jesus really is through you. And when the church starts living this out, we impact our communities. The world is changed. Because I can only reach so many. You can only reach so many. You can only reach so many. We all have spheres that God has placed us in of influence. If we would just make disciples in those spheres. This is the call. This is the whole reason Jesus raises from the, from the grave, victorious over sin and death, to redeem us, to restore us, and to send us as his people to change lives with the gospel. Only he can do that. Only he has the power to change lives, but he calls us to be a part of that, each one. So Jesus invites you, follow me. He sends you to make disciples, to love God and to love others. And it's all because Jesus rose again after suffering the worst death in history. Conquering death and sin once for all, for all who would believe, he is the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. And he alone is worthy of our praise. So we're going to close our service with some songs of praise. So I'm going to invite Amy up.
as we do this, I'm going to just close our message time in prayer, and we will transition to a time of worship and praise. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that in your resurrection, you have restored us to oneness with you, Lord. That you call us and you equip us and you, you call, send us, Lord, to our communities, our Jerusalem, our Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth, Lord, to be agents of hope. That there is life now in this darkness if we would simply trust you, that we would let the lies of the enemy go away and, and the shame and, and the failures and, and be reminded who you say we are. So Lord Jesus, we, we want to continue worshiping you and singing praises to your name. It's in your name we pray. Amen.